I get nervous when people are like, ah, the back end's totally commoditized. I'm like, well, then it really should be like I go to the store and I say, I'd like this schema, please. Catchbase is a modern multi-cloud-to-edge, SQL-friendly JSON document database for building applications with agility, performance, and scale. If you're new to Couchbase and would like to learn more, the Couchbase Developer Portal is the best place to start. It's loaded with tutorials, videos, and documentation, as well as best practice tips, quick start guides, and community resources, including the Couchbase Developer Community Forum. Ready to get started developing on Couchbase? Visit couchbase.com slash new to Couchbase. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, Ben. Hi, Paul. Nice to see you. See you too. I love your new office. Thank Paul. you. Yes, I have a new office. I, I moved house in the middle of the pandemic. It's distinct from your bedroom. Yeah, gives it a new. Flavor. I'm no longer in my <laughs> my corner of shame and sadness, which was uh, that was a moment in time. But yeah, your new office. It really it gets it gets got some intellectual energy. I'm digging it. Yeah, it does. It does. well. No, all I do is put up my books. I mean, honestly, these bookshelves right. were just to the right. Before and, and now they're behind me because I'm very conscious of being on video all the time. Yeah, your Zoom profile has whoo, I know. through the roof. It's weird to uh, move because then you're like, well, you know, is it still going to be worth it after three months? You know, I've got, <laughs> but I, I think so. It's nice to have a little home office. I don't know if we're all going back five days a week in the in the future. I can't couldn't tell you. Yeah, that I, well, I feel like it is kind of optional now. It's definitely in the past. It was like. You want to be at the office a certain amount of time to show your face, and then you know you know that you're not working the whole time. I can see that because I can see you on Twitter, fellow coworker. Yeah. But now it's so much more about are you getting your work done? Because really, you just have to be on those Zoom meetings. Is your is your Slack dot green right? Like that's yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of presence, and I actually like offices are kind of you know I think they're kind of important places because that's where the lore and the culture of the company builds up but I'm, I'm a boss so I would say that right like the, everybody else is like yeah I could also just stay home on Friday and not commute and get a lot done so for sure I saw a tech startup I can't remember who it was now but it was a tech startup very software focused recently and they were announcing that they had purchased a new office and it was a mall and I just thought oh like that's one of those turning yeah it's epic, epic. games in North Carolina they bought an old yeah. mall and they're going to turn and it's so great it's just so smart that is really a fun playground to have as your office and there's so much open air you can walk walking the food court <laughs> in a whole new situation that's taking two different kinds of America and mashing them together in a way that I appreciate exactly no the mall the repurpose Purposing of the mall to me is like the most interesting thing that can happen because it's just all those stores make wonderful little breakout conference areas. You've got, oh, yeah. you know, the food court will become the cafeteria and it's dead space. And it's also just funnier and better than building out this <laughs> new, some new eco ecology destroying piece of infrastructure, right. right? Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to cannibalize all of Mountain View. There are many malls waiting to be rehabilitated. I'm going to tell you my <laughs> fantasy here. My fantasy is that they leave the electronics boutique, right? Like this is the oh, yeah. one game. The store. sharper image stays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the one ga electronic game store is just, you know, you could go in and they're like, oh, sorry, we're all out of Wii's. Sorry. <laughs> they just, yeah. it's, it's an electronic boutiques and they should just hire one person to tell you that they're kind of out of it. And then anything that's not like SimCity, it's impossible to buy. So that that's that would be Oh my God. That is such a for Epic Games, that's such a good fantasy. You go into the gaming store, but everything is free. Oh <laughs> yeah. At night they put it back on the shelf and you just take what you that's want. That's right. That's right. Box games. That would get everybody so people would just work there just so they could go to that store and get free uh, exactly. free games. 
So I don't know about PostSite if you guys are, are both a front end and back end shop, but we are. Um, I was preparing a little bit. You are? Yeah. Okay. So so I'm going to throw something at you and you tell me what you think. I was preparing for our guest, Guillermo Rauch. Later today. Guillermo Rauch. Yep, sure. Who's coming on later today. Um, we'll hear his episode probably next week. And I was reading a blog post where he made the argument that uh, the front end is really your opportunity to like impress and delight and perform for the customer to be more accessible and memorable because the back end is increasingly commoditized, turnkey, undifferentiated. So as a shop that does both, like what's your response to that? Oh, well, now, hold on. I think it depends on what you're building, right? If you're building a classic mm -hmm. sort of web app that has a lot of forms in it and you're right. trying to create a nice experience, um, I mean, this is really, okay. Let me break this down a couple different ways. So first is like for okay. a classic web app, let, let's come up with something like, you know, sneaker tracker where everybody puts their cool sneakers up and pictures of them and talks about mm -hmm. the sneakers they have. And occasionally people trade sneakers, right? Right. You're going to build that backend using a commodity ORM based system, or you might even use something like Firebase, or you might use, mm -hmm. I mean, basically a lot of what's happening on the backend is that you're, you're kind of defining a schema, whether in yeah. a, a no SQL framework like Mongo or, or using Postgres, and then you're, you're adding as little code as possible on top. And a lot of problems that used to be really big problems like authentication or you know analytics, so on and so forth, are really disaggregated. You can buy services that make them easy and, and things plug in together. Okay, so that, yeah. that part of the back end absolutely is commoditized. Now, the front end is also increasingly commoditized. It's commoditized through right. design systems. It's commoditized through various widget toolkits, um, the React right. ecosystem. So to that end, I, I see a lot of sameness on the front end and then differentiation yeah. through styling. Like you don't see many new user interface elements, right? You don't, there aren't that many. Mm. Like you don't, you know, pull to refresh was one that was a while ago. <laughs> I mean, or, because the cost of change for the UX is actually incredibly, incredibly high. So I think there is truth in that. But I, I think there's another thing here, which is just like on the back end, APIs and building really good back ends that can be used by lots of people. That is as much of a product development craft as building great UX in the front end. And it's a, right. it's it's still design. It's just a way more abstract kind of design, like a well-designed API front end, a, which is well-documented, easy to explore, easy to build around. Yeah. You know, it's like architects are responsible for the basement and the plumbing and mm. making sure that the house really works as a system as well as the facade and the windows, right? And that's... that aspect of development isn't it might be commoditized in that you don't have to build your own authentication system but getting that api right is just as hard as getting the front end right and you know you could go further and you could say like getting the content right and getting the communications right and getting the developer relations right like this is all a big complicated system and so it's not wrong for the work a day like i need to build this thing in the next quarter and then once it's out, we're going to see what it's like. Like for sort of classic startup thinking, that's actually, it's a it's yeah. a correct statement. But for like, I'm going to build something for the long haul. And then to make it even mm -hmm. more complicated, you're also looking at like kind of super commoditized spaces like CRM or, yeah. or CMS, where you would be, you need to go look at Salesforce and Pipedrive and all the others on the CRM side. And you need to look at WordPress and, and then also at WordPress for the, uh, for <laughs> on the CMS side, right? Like there are these, Large platforms that are are not just commoditized, but just like almost becoming the standards. They're also yeah, increasingly API sure. driven, and you're gonna you're gonna build to them as well. And then there's a but a lot of times they don't really do 
anything to allow you to, they make it hard to be to do things differently on the front end. And so you have right. to think that right. through too. Like there's the thing we did at work called Glide, which is a a GraphQL layer that lets you talk to Salesforce. It's open mm-hmm. source. You can go to GitHub and just if you search Glide, Glide Salesforce, you'll find it. And you know, to me, that's there's a little bit of that future. Like, how do I want these systems to be orchestrated and work in an elegant way that allows me to be creative on the front end? So, I mean, I there's two things that jump out to me there, and I'll break it down for you. So, like, one, what I thought you said was interesting, which is like you have to think about designing your API. And I think you mentioned right plumbing versus you know the the, the view of the house you're going to get when you just come to visit. And I think there, you know, that's about extensibility, for example, if your business evolves, but also whether you're trading sneakers, um, you know, or something else, like maybe in the future, you want people to be tapping into your business, right? Like where are other businesses going to hook into what you do and how, you know, to what degree can you grow into some kind of central node or platform, right? Well, where are you so going to differentiate, right? Because Shopify has a beautiful API. It is, you know, Stripe right. has a beautiful API. Those are both really good points because I think people have argued that Amazon is a monopoly, but I think Shopify, you know, clearly showed that some of what you can do on the API side, the elegant integrations and the ability to evolve those quickly for new tools can be, you know, a differentiator for Well, and I, I kind of wonder, I mean, as antitrust comes after these things and it takes five to 10 years you know, more and more attackers will appear on the horizon. Like it is a, it, it, they're still vulnerable in a weird way. I mean, to me, the advantage that the giant tech companies have is everybody logs in through their services so they can see what's growing and acquire it before it can compete with right, them. Right, right, like, right. Buy it or smush it if you see that it's growing fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like you can't turn away from that dashboard. You're just monitoring your auth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, that is, that's real. I Look, I mean, you know, a work we did, work the, some of the work we're most proud of from last year was the uh, making the MailChimp APIs really accessible and building a really good developer portal, right? And so it's like, Mm -hmm. there is a a, just a lot of work and thought, not done by my company, actually done by MailChimp about how their API is going to integrate with the world and how developers are going to use it. And then, you know, we were sort of creating an interface on top of that in in terms of documentation and experience. And so like, you're talking an enormous amount of true product work, but it's product work that an end consumer almost never sees. It's, you know, developer experience and things like that. But it's still exactly the same as any other kind of product work. Like if you were doing healthcare, or, uh, you know, sort of anything that is professional to professional. So, yeah, right. no, I think that's why I'm hesitant. I mean, you made the other point, which is that, right, then people always consider, oh, well, you know, am I, should I just do this with WordPress or Wix or whoever? And then, again, you get back to this idea of, well, I'm not really going to be too differentiated. So I'm not going to be delighting and surprising my, people. My right? answer like, is is always yes to that if you don't know why you wouldn't. Right? Like, right. The, the very dangerous thing is people are like, I don't want to use WordPress. Everybody uses WordPress. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you right. want to use WordPress? Well, because everybody <laughs> yeah. uses it. I don't want to be the same. Well, why wouldn't you want to be the same? And it turns out they want to be the right. same, but just like maybe with a little more yellow. <laughs> and and so you gotta you gotta kind of hold their hands, and it's you know the great differentiator there is that you know getting that WordPress set, site set up and looking basically good could cost right. fifteen hundred dollars to twenty thousand on the high end if you're right. building something. This is where you explain the power of fonts to them. Yeah, if, exactly. If, if you really want to stand out, <laughs> and then doing the custom API that does the really fancy stuff, now you're well into six figures really quickly. And so when people right. People often really want a lot of special stuff, and when they realize the chasm that they're going to have to jump over consists of hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to get to the really special case, they realize that that's not what they wanted after all. 
I have two things that I want to point out to you before we wrap today's episode. One is that enterprise software is now popular on TikTok. This is an amazing trend. I wish we had Sarah on today, but apparently the teens are getting ready to start a new semester and they are figuring out how they can you know, best organize and optimize themselves. So there was a story here in The Verge TikTok, teens' latest passion is enterprise software, and I guess Notion. Notion was the one that went viral. Uh, yeah, this is your sign to get to get Notion and organize your life. Wow, it's it's special. I wouldn't call Notion enterprise. I read that article. I think yeah, it was in the a bit of a stretch. It also uh, described like Andy Bio as like an obscure blogger or something like that, which wasn't cool. <laughs> Ouch. No, Andy Ouch. Andy Bio is like you know created XOXO. He's a good dude. You should check out Waxy. He's a good dude. It's a great site. Yeah. So that Notion is not enterprise. It's software as a service. And you know what? We know yeah. this about the teens. The teens love Google Doc. They keep the WhatsApp chat going into college there's like the official whatsapp channel <laughs> and then the unofficial whatsapp channel for your class yeah. and so like yeah. exactly. you know that story was funny to me because it was like not only did it sort of ding a friend unnecessarily thank you but also it came at like yeah teens use tools and then teens celebrating notion and sharing tips and tricks on tiktok to me is like absolutely the world i want to live in absolutely 100% yeah. that is the cosmos i want to <laughs> exist in which is like but also let's be mindful an enormous amount of media online has always been tips and tricks. You know, there's right. 43 folders and Lifehacker and all the getting things. Right, right. Like there's always productivity is always part of yeah. the larger dialogue. Yeah, this is just the digital savvy millennial teens. Exactly. Doing the life hacks that they would have done on their Kanban board of paper notes before. And as things expand, right? Culture. It's expanded. Yeah. And so like there is an audience for to-do list tips. There are teens who love a good to-do list. So I just celebrate that. Like, go teens. You you own it. Use Notion. Because when I saw that headline, I'm like, teens are using Salesforce. Teens are doing enterprise resource planning where they're like. They're tracking their, their party invites and their popularity and their CRM. That's the thing. Sure. If you for told sure. me that like teens were using ERP to figure out how they could buy their, you know, their innovative, <laughs> the most innovative set of houses in order to, to you know, build their TikTok brands, I'd be like, I guess that yeah. kind of makes sense now. But no, I, I would love to see enterprise TikTok. That would be true enterprise TikTok would just be miraculous. All right. Stay tuned. This is a developing situation. It could we we might tip over. I think at one point, Paul, you threatened jokingly that the worst kind of programming in the world, you know, if we really were to get there to the of the no code, low code I was talking about. And you were saying, okay, all we need to do to get there is to make sure that everybody can program in PowerPoint. Um, and then I found a small lecture, programming in PowerPoint. Have I shared this with you? It's great in practical ideas and computer science. Apparently, you can build a Turing machine in only 15 slides. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is so. I mean, PowerPoint is actually extensible, you know, in the regular way that Microsoft Office apps are, right? So it actually has yeah. a language inside. But this was a little more like making it, like, you know, this is more about like pushing the buttons and stuff and, and really at a, at a yeah. you know, bouncing between different slides and, and creating an actual abstract computer in PowerPoint. So there's a great thinker, uh, Alan Kay, who is critical at mm -hmm. Xerox Park. He was one of the progenitors of the Smalltalk language, sort of the progenitor of Smalltalk with lots of other people. And uh, really a lot of what we take for granted comes out of the milieu that he was in in the, in the 70s in computing. And he, yeah. and he has, unlike a lot of other people who just kind of went off and, and you know ran enormous companies or, or were chief scientists, uh, he's done that, but also really stayed uh, connected to the idea that computing is for 
empowering people in a really specific way, mm. like people with special needs and children are always the priority when he talks about them in public. So coming back around to this, right, like he's very critical of the web and, and critical of a lot of systems that exist for not taking the power inherent in the computer and making it available. And so, right, right. you know, PowerPoint is a funny one, right? Because it comes under a lot of pressure for for really diminishing uh, the way that, that people think think and communicate. And, you know, Edward Tufte's mm-hmm. written about this. There's a paper called The Cognitive Style of PowerPoint. And there, right. there's been quite a bit of research into it. What this reveals, and I always, I love when people do things like this, because what it reveals is that the power of the computer is always actually right there. But PowerPoint has decided to abstract that away and say, here's the things you want. You want titles, mm. you want templates, maybe you <laughs> yeah. want a little animation, right? Yeah. Uh, and then from there, right, you can kind of, people go like, well, wait, it's actually on a computer. And really the web is a story of that. Like it was, the web was, hey, we're going to cha- trade some documents with links and yeah. uh, make it easy to point to each other. And then, you know, 25 years later, it's uh, a virtual machine running JavaScript or WebAssembly that basically is, totally. it's a computer. I think one of the most popular stories on, one of the most popular blogs we ran last year on the Stack Overflow blog was about Motoko or Mokoto. Basically, you know, like, enabling the browser to be uh, sort of an internet computer and then just taking, you know, working from that as first principles. That was one of the, the the blogs we did last year that sort of caught people's attention. So yeah, I love the idea you're saying, like you always try to abstract it away and then somebody, whether they're in a ridiculous lecture or, you know, w- with a serious purpose, you know, tries to turn things around and make it a machine again that you can work from. There are a lot of joke laws in computing. And one of the joke laws that I love is, you know, every application expands until it can send email. <laughs> Which just happens. Like, you know, there was a point where like Microsoft Word was like, send this document as email became a menu item. Right. And it happened to the to the GIMP and Linux and and, and sort of all over the place. And so um, the point really here is that if an application hangs out long enough, it yeah. starts to become <laughs> the computer. It starts to actually offer a computational environment. Like the Emacs text mm. editor is a very good example all the IDEs, you know, everybody ends up yeah. having like an abstract machine inside that's a target for the experience. Yeah, some clever programmer is tired of context switching and it's just like, I can build this in here. That's exactly it. It's the con- it's avoiding the context shift because you're like, I'll have more power right. if I use the object model inside of the text editor. <laughs> right, and then eventually it gets too complicated and somebody's like, I'm going to unbundle this. Yeah, and that's don't the cycle you just want to use a simple email <laughs> reader that doesn't do it? <laughs> well, and actually, you know where you get bit is security, right? Because once you yeah. created an abstract computational system instead of like a word processor, where anything can be executed at any time. This is so true of the browser. You have a security nightmare. All right. Before we sign off today, I want to give a little shout out. Uh, you sent this to me and my kids loved it. Tinkersmith.com. Do you know anything about this? Like who's behind it? If you want to shout it I out. I don't know who's behind it, but it's great. We were talking about sort All of right. computational aesthetics in a recent uh, episode of this podcast. And, and I think that this is one of, the, one of the better examples. It's like you can basically do a line and a half of really efficient JavaScript or just really tight mm-hmm. JavaScript. And you know, essentially you're just doing math. You've got like sine, sine and cosine and, you right. Know, and it gives you a couple of variables and the variables turn into, they affect a little screen above. They sort of change how all the pixels work. And so it's a toy, right? You can play with math and, and sort of see how it shows up on the screen. And that that used to be the oh, yeah. that was the old eight bit computing aesthetic, and now it it's just <laughs> again it's always available, right? Like it's always been there inside the browser, but people are are, are kind of starting to fill in those blanks. 
Oh yeah, sliders are infinite joy. I mean, my six-year-old can't get enough. Sliders are the best thing. Sliders are the single best <laughs> interface element because they're so laziness is wonderful. You just move that little guy left to right, and you're like, oh, yeah. I have created art. Yeah, exactly. All right, wonderful. Well, let's sign off for the day with a lifeboat awarded yesterday to Gideon. How do I clear the selection of a selected node in a tree view? All right. Good Thanks, job. Gideon, for helping to spread the knowledge. We will put that lifeboat in the show notes. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and you can hit us up with ideas or questions, podcast at stackoverflow.com. And I'm Paul Ford. I am the co-founder of Postlight. Check out my company, and wow, are we hiring. We could really use good front-end, back-end, full-stack, however you define yourself, engineers. Please get in touch. Please get in touch.